like that video, a 200-plus-year-old vine, and you got to meet the vine dresser, or at least one of the vine dressers, and you got to see the incredible amount of care that goes in to taking care of one vine that's been around for over two centuries and is still producing maximum fruit. The reason I showed that is as you see the honking size of those branches and the grapes hanging off of that, hundreds and hundreds of clusters of grapes. And I wanted to share this with you because you heard me say this before, but did you catch that fact that the sweetness of the grapes comes at the very end of their development, which means... If we keep following Jesus, we get sweeter and sweeter with each passing year. Now, can I just quickly interject that we all know people who have never met Jesus who don't get sweeter with age. They get more bitter and cynical and jaded and nasty and cantankerous. Don't raise your hands, but you all have a relative, I'm sure, that fits that description. It should not be so among God's people. Because the longer we're attached to the vine and the, the, the bigger the fruit, the sweeter the fruit. And so can I just, I'm going to give you something that's going to make you so excited. In 2020, Sheila, I'm going to be sweeter than I was even this year. And I know it's hard to believe, but you guys are going to go, man, Pastor Ron is so sweet. And, uh, and you know what I'm going to say about you? You're pretty, you're pretty sweet. It's false. <laughs> no, not false. It's true. Oh, sweet and salty. Yeah, sweet and salty. All right, you tricked me. Um, but you're getting sweeter too, are you not? Just agree with me, all right? Even Isaac, even a young man like yourself, sweeter with each passing year because we're becoming more like Jesus. And isn't it great? Nobody in this room is over 200 years old yet, but you're going to be producing great fruit well into your senior years because that's the promise from heaven. So you all with me on that? One vine, look at the size of those branches, look at the incredible fruitfulness, all from one vine, and I love that sweet little lady with the British accent, um, how she cares for every lady. See her rose just clipping off those little tiny grapes that shouldn't be there so the other ones can get bigger. I mean, here's the picture I want you all to get. God takes such painstaking care and attention over each one of us because he loves us and because he's such an amazing father and because he wants much fruit that's going to come out of our lives for our joy and for his glory, and that's what this is all about. So here's the deal. The last few weeks, I've been laboring to, be, to, to put some good theology in place. Everybody say theology. theology. Say, I love theology. I love yeah, some of you don't believe that, but, uh, but it's the truth. And here's why we love theology, because theology is simply the ideas about God. And can I just tell you that there's no subject matter more valuable, more relevant, more important than God. You all agree with me on that? Can anybody think that, that, you know, you want to be an expert in trivia pursuit? No! You want to be an expert in God. There's nothing more weighty than God. So I don't know why you guys read your Bible so much. Because we want to know God. Well, who's God? Only the foundation of all reality. So how many know we need to up our reading game sometime, and we need to start focusing on things that really matter, and we need to focus on truth. And this is why I said theology is so important, because theology is like the, the foundation. It's like the steel girders of the building. You're not going to go very far in enjoying God if you don't know anything about God. 
You know, some people say, oh, I love God. Yeah, me and God, we're cool, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Me and the big man, you know, um, I just shake my head. It's like, <laughs> if you only knew to whom you're speaking, you would not be so flippant uh, and talk that way because it actually highlights your stupidity, not your coolness. Y'all know what I'm talking about. He's not the big man upstairs. Uh, he is the creator of everything. He's the king of glory. He is awesome beyond words. And 100 billion galaxies can't contain his praise. And he spoke them all into existence with a word. And he knows them all by name. This is the God that we're dealing with. And the amazing thing is, is we've been united with him. Now, united with him is the theology. It's the infrastructure. I shared with you a few weeks ago, all of heaven was moving to bring us into relationship with the Son. God the Father knew us, loved us, chose us, adopted us from before the foundation of the world. How many know that's awesome? Jesus Christ the Son, the sinless Lamb of God, nailed to the cross, took upon himself 100 billion failures, and they all disappeared because Christ absorbed the wrath and the punishment of God on our behalf for every one of those 100 billion billion and more failures and sins. That's the beauty of the cross. And then the Holy Spirit giving us the engagement ring. He is the engagement ring from the Father who says this is just the down payment on what's to come. How many of you know we're living in the engagement season right now? But this is not heaven and this is not the fullness of what's coming. This is sweet, but it's not the fullness of what's coming. That is coming when Jesus returns to consummate the marriage. Are you with me? It is awesome. But we are united with him. We are engaged to him. We have the engagement ring, and the name is the Holy Spirit. He lives within us. He reveals the beauty of Jesus to us. And I said last week as well, the whole nature of this union, that, that um, it's alive, it's real, it's vital. It's, it's not a fake thing. It's not a religious thing. It's a total union, which means everything that Jesus is, he gives to us, and he expects us to do what? Give everything that we are back to him. Does this make sense to everybody? It's like, a, it's like a marriage. As the husband, I'm called to lay my life down and to love my wife. Not when she's perfect, uh, because that's never the case, or, or it's never the case that I'm perfect. We're sinners. We're flawed people. But I'm called to love her. I'm called not to judge her for, her for her failures, but I'm called to love her and to cover those things and to watch her become the person that she's meant to be. And she does that to me. In fact, she does such a better, uh, even better job than I do that to her. But I'm working on it. But I'm committed to that. How much more would Jesus, what does he do to his bride? He gives himself to us fully so that we're transformed. He doesn't quit on us. He doesn't say, I'm done with you. He doesn't say, I'm sick of you. He doesn't say, I'm tired of you. His love for his bride is consistent and steady. And let me just tell you something. That's the truth whether you feel like it or not. Because I'm not talking to you about experience. We're going to get to that today. I'm talking to you about theology. How many of you believe that because of faith in Christ and what he's done, that something supernatural happened and you were grafted into the vine Christ Jesus and you are united with Christ? And how many of you believe that his love for you never, never falters, never quits, never stops? It is steady. It is rock solid. Romans chapter 8 is true. Uh, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. How many of you believe that? Now let me ask you a second. Amen. Let's give the, That's the truth. That's the truth. How many sons of God do I have in the house? How many daughters of God do I have in the house? How many join heirs with Christ? 
How many more than conquerors? I mean, how many know the reason we have to read our Bibles is not so we get a badge or we, get, we can check it off or we've done our duty. The reason we read our Bibles is so that we can discover who we are and what the nature is of this union with God Almighty. I mean, I, it's for me. It's not for God. It's for me so that I know who I am. But here's the problem. I want to move us from the theology, which is rock-solid truth, it's the way that it is, period, whether you feel like it or not, into the experience of it. Now, I don't know about you, but when, when I gave my life to my wife and she gave her life to me, we said, I do, we were at an altar like this, and, and the, 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 the minister gave those magic words. They're not magic, but it's the truth. It's something that God does when, you bring it, when he brings two people together. I say something like this, by the power vested in me by the state of Indiana and by the holy ordinance of God Almighty, I now pronounce you husband and wife, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How I many you know at that moment, boom, it's a whole new relationship. Now, it doesn't look like it's new. They just walked down the aisle and they met her and they said, said their vows and they put a ring on their finger and it doesn't look new. But when I declared those words, it wasn't my authority, but it's the authority of God Almighty. When I declare those words, boom, something happens. They are united as husband and wife. But guess what couples do after they're united at the altar? They go on a honeymoon because, listen to me, now they're going to learn to experience what somebody said over them at the altar. How many of you know when you gave your life to Christ, this is what happened in the heavenlies. Jesus Christ took your place. All of your sin were placed on Christ. Christ declared on the cross, it is finished. What was finished? The payment for every one of your sins, past, present, and future, Christ took upon himself so that God looks at you and declares you righteous, holy, without blemish, You're a son, you're a daughter, you're adopted into the family. That's who you are. And then guess what happens? Now we have to go out and we have to walk with Christ. And listen, this is so important. We learn what it is to be married. How many of you know most folks when they're standing at this altar don't have a clue about what it means to be married? They love the idea. But they don't know how to experience the the fullness of what God intended for them. That's part of what we do at this church. We want every couple to experience the fullness of what God intended. And guess what? You can. If you you will stay connected to Jesus and you'll press into him and you'll, you'll take the theology of God's word and you'll let it shape the way you think so that even this morning, some of you say, man, you don't know if I feel like, I don't know if I feel like going to church to worship. Let's be honest. Don't raise your hand, but we've all been there. You've heard that joke, you know, the guy gets up and he says, I don't want to go to church today. I'm tired. I don't feel well. Nobody there likes me. You know, on, on, on. And the wife looks at him and says, you have to go to church. You're the pastor. (laughs) Now, I've not really had that feeling because I know y'all love me. Y'all love me. All right, I love you too. All right. But here's the point. Um, Sometimes we don't feel it. So what do you do then? You go back to theology. You don't let your feelings dictate the truth about who you are or what God's done for you. You let the truth dictate your feelings. Sometimes your feelings need to catch up with you. But here's what I'm talking about, not just saying, well, I know God loves me, but I don't really feel like it. I know I have faith, but I don't really feel like it. At some point, listen, God wants you to feel like it. I need to say that again. That was such a wimpy response by you guys. 
at some point, this reunion with Jesus is supposed to be producing feelings and passion and life and sap flowing through you to where you're not like, oh, God, I got to go to church. God, I got to read my Bible. You're not a slave for crying out loud. You're a son. You're a daughter. There should be a joy in all of this. Because it's not just theoretically who you are. It's not just you show up at church. You have been united with Jesus Christ, and it's vital, it's real, it's alive, it's life-changing. And that's what he wants us to experience. So we're moving now from theology to experience. And let me just tell you this. A man with experience is a whole lot more valuable than somebody with just a bunch of ideas or a bunch of theology. I want us all, you hear your pastor's heart, I want every one of us to be in love with Jesus. I want every one of us to be hungry for God. I want every one of us to have a passion for righteousness. I want every one of us to be going, oh, I want to be everything that Jesus had in his mind for me to be. I want to be it all. In other words, there's an awakening in our hearts. When we worship and the team hits the first note, we're here like, yeah. You know, we used to look at people like that and think, those people are weird. No, those people are living in union with Christ. And if they could experience the fullness of the sap, they would blow up. They would, they would vaporize. So you're just seeing the watered-down version. When you're going, yes, I love you, Lord, that's just the watered-down version. If we experienced the fullness of the life of God flowing through us, we'd be gone. Ashley, out, gone. You'd be a pile of dust on the ground. Boy, that would be fun, too. We need to really go after that someday. All right. John 15. Look with me in the first five verses here. Jesus said, I am the true vine true vine, not a fake vine, the true vine, the real thing. And my father is the vine dresser. God is in charge of the vineyard. He's the owner. He's the gardener. He's the husbandman. He is the one who takes painstaking care in making sure the vine is healthy, the branches are healthy, and they produce much fruit. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Look at what he says in verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the, the branches. Whoever abides in me... And I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Let me ask you this question. Why did God save you? Why are we a gathered body of Christ here? Why are we a family that the Lord has assembled? What's God's purpose in all of this? What's the reason? You know, I could ask this question. You know, parents, when you have kids, why did you do that? They cost you money. They keep you up at night. They vomit on things. I just took my son's rental car back to the uh, rental car place. I noticed it was baptized in puke all over the back floor. Baby puke. They fill diapers. They do all kinds. They say, no. Come to daddy. No. Can I ask you a question? Why do we have kids? Some of you are going, I've been asking that. No. First of all, can I say this? 
Marion and I did not get together going, let's go have kids. No. What brought us together was our passion for each other. Kids just happen. It's like, hmm, that's how that happens, all right? In fact, you know, when you have a big family, they always joke around about, hey, do you know how that happens? Well, yes, we do. Right, Eric? You know all about that. All right. But here's the point. My children exist as an overflow of my great love for their mother. Every time I see my children, it is a reminder to me of how much I love their mother. And the best gift a father can give to his children is to love unconditionally their mother. This isn't marriage class, but it should be, all right? Kids are there for us to enjoy. Every time I look at them, it's a reminder of my affection for them. I don't like dealing with all this stuff, but I do love them. I love who they are. Can I ask you to answer this question for you? Why did God have us? We are the overflow of the greatness and the beauty and the awesomeness of God himself. We're made in his image. Every time he looks at us, he goes, man, I am awesome. Now, we give him a lot of grief, do we not? And we don't always listen, do we? Sometimes we say, no, when he asks us to do stuff. But you know what? He's crazy about you. And the reason he saved you is to enjoy you. That one needs to sink in right there. The reason he saved you is to enjoy you forever and ever and ever and ever. Isn't it kind of fun just to sit here and and think that there is a being who finds great pleasure and enjoyment in you? In fact, it kind of makes us blush a little bit. Now we start feeling, oh, really me? Well, Lord, you don't really know me. Oh, yes, you do. He knows everything about you, and he's still crazy about you. He didn't save us, because here's the problem. When, when you read this passage in John 15, tell me if, this, if you had not had this thought. When I first read John 15, it scared me. You know why it scared me? I pictured God Almighty, the vine dresser. He's got a giant axe in his hand. He's, he's examining my life to see if I've done wrong things or if there's enough fruit and you know what? There's never enough fruit, is there? Because we can always do more. So you know what he does? He takes that axe, and he just starts whoosh, 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 going to town. And then you know what he does with those stinking branches that don't produce any fruit? He gathers them all up. You know what he does? He burns them. And you're all going, oh, Jesus, that's such a nice parable. I just, in your mind, I already know how you're thinking because we're orphans by nature. In our minds, this is what we're thinking. I'm not doing enough. I'm not loving enough. I'm not reading my Bible enough. There's not enough fruit. That's me. He's going to lop me off and throw me in the fire, and that's not good. Ooh, what's going to happen? How many of you ever had that thought? All right, just be honest. And you know why you go there? Because we have a warped idea about God the Father. Now, I had a, uh, an intern here. So we had a couple young men that were in an internship program, and we would teach them the Word and give them some good good theology, and then we'd have them do stuff, you know, that they do outreach, they do service projects, whatever. Well, one of the times I had this great idea, you know, this place is, takes a lot to maintain, if you know what I mean, a lot, of, a lot of square footage here, lots of plants, and we're just beginning, all right? So I said to this one young gentleman, I said, do you know how to uh, shape the hedges, the shrubs? Oh, yeah, I've done that. Yeah, I'm going to show you. 
I'm going to plug the power into the source here because I taught you guys well. Some of you, this is your view of God. He's standing over your life and he's checking out your fruit. And he's going like this. And then the frown on his face of disappointment is turning into joy. <laughs> because God, in your mind, is like a chainsaw murderer. And let me tell you what happened in real life. I sent this novice out to take care of our beautiful shrubs. And this is what happened. This was his, this was his technique. When I went out and looked at that poor shrub, it looked like a perfect cube. And he had this smile on his face like, how'd I do, how'd I do, how'd I do? I could not break the news to him, so I, I just lied. I said, that is great. Mental note, never torment the shrubs with this man ever again. Some of you have this picture of God. Like he comes up to you. Oh, my power went out. <laughs> it's probably good. Like all of you Christians on row number one. <laughs> Pastor, ah, Pastor Dick, I'm not producing fruit. Whop, there we go. And, and you have this image of God like a chainsaw massacre. Did you see that sweet little British lady on that video? Oh, she's just up there. Hold on, I got to put my chainsaw down. This is what she was doing. See her grab that little deficient grape. <laughs> How many of you know when you have children, they're all different, which is really frustrating because you just got the firstborn figured out. Number two comes along, and they're completely different than number one. And then number three comes along, and then curiosity sets in, and before you know it, you have eight kids like we had, all right? You're like fascinated by them. How many personalities can they have? Trust me, a lot. <laughs> so here's the deal. Some of us, we think God treats all of his kids the same, like he just walks by the rope. But can I encourage you this morning? There's nothing you ever go through in life, nothing, that God is not there to take whatever that is that got lopped off or pruned or whatever, and he does it with painstaking care. In other words, God is not haphazard and reckless in the way he treats you. He's not haphazard. He's just not going. In fact, I've told my kids before when I had them help me around the house, watch that weed whacker. Because if you get too close to the vine and you hit it with the weed whacker, follow it up the source. All right? That beautiful little flower that's like 20 feet from the vine that's beautiful, and you just whack the mama vine, guess what's happening to that flower? It is dying the second you whack the vine. How many of you know God is very meticulous and very intentional in pruning us? And he knows exactly what needs to come off. And let me just remind you again, why is he doing this? Because he wants a friendship with you and a friendship with me. Now, I've told my kids before, I've lied to them. Some of you parents, you lied like this. You say, you know what? Daddy's going to have to discipline you right now, and it's going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. No, it's not. 
I would tell my kids, trust me. This will definitely not hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. This will hurt your bottom. Because here's why. This is the truth. I heard this and I held on to this, all right? I'm not spanking you because I don't like you. I'm not spanking you because I'm angry. I'm spanking you because, listen, I love you too much to let you act this way. Because if you keep acting this way and you get big, your employer will not like you acting this way. Your spouse will not like you acting this way. In fact, nobody will want to be around you because you're miserable. And you cause misery everywhere you go. So because I love you, God says, I'm going to correct that attitude. Snip, snip. Oh, Chris, you're perfect. Let me get to Ed. Hold on. Wait. Wait, hold on, hold on. We need a little more work. With you. No. Yeah, where'd that axe go when you need it? No, I'm kidding. Now, some of you are picking this up. Don't ever sit on the front row. You get used in sermon illustrations over and over and over again. Here's my point. God's trying to bring us into alignment with who he is and, and surrender with what he's doing. Hear this, not so you can do more for God. You know, Jerry Harvey has shared in his testimony, others of us have the same testimony. We thought that the way that you got on God's good side was volunteering for everything and serving, 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 doing, 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 doing. Can I just set you all free? God is not looking for you to come do more things for him. He's actually wanting to do things with him. Do you all understand this difference here? How many of you dads enjoy it when your sons or daughters come outside and work alongside of you, helping you? Now, sometimes they're, when they're little, they're not really helping. They're creating more work. Some of you moms, if you try to teach your children in the kitchen, hey, help me make a pie. That's not always good for the pie. It's not always good for the party. Sometimes it won't taste like it should. But you know what you're doing? There's a joy in co-laboring, is there not? The Father's not looking for us to help him. He's God. God doesn't have any needs. He's not like, hey, I'm really going to be deficient if you guys don't come along. No, it's not. He finds pleasure in us joining him. It's about relationship. It's about coming alongside That's why he occasionally disciplines us. But can I just remind you, because we live in a very flippant age. We live in an age where our talk about God is very disrespectful. We live in an age where our views about about, uh, the kingdom in general are, are deficient. We live in an age where people mock spiritual things. Let me just remind you that when the disciples are standing there with Jesus and he's telling them about the vine, the branches, and cutting things off and throwing them into the fire, can I just remind you that they're just like we are and they were thinking the exact same thought you and I have had. Am I enough? Is he talking about me? Is it I, Lord? Where's the fire? I mean, all these things are in their mind. And can I just suggest to you that it's probably not initially a bad thought for a fallen human being to be told that you're going to come into to union with a perfect, powerful God of consuming, all-consuming fire? How many of you know it's probably good to have a little bit of caution about that and wonder, how's this thing going to work out? Look at what David said in Psalm 15, verse 1. Lord, who dares to dwell with you? How I many of you know that's a really good question from an Old Testament saint? Because you know what? 
if you got, maybe you had an unruly child and they decided to run in the temple and they ran right through the outer court and they ran into the inner court and then they crawled under the curtain and they went into the Holy of Holies. Do you know what you have at that moment? A corpse. They would be pulling your child out from underneath there because your child did something really, really foolish. So I mean, you know, when David's saying, who in the world dares to dwell, to hang out with God, he's asking a really good question. Because only one high priest got to come into the immediate presence of God once a year, and only if that high priest first offered a sacrifice for their sins, and only if that high priest did everything according to proper protocol. Look at what he says next. Who presumes the privilege of being close to you? Living next to you, God, in the place of your shining glory, the shining place of glory. Who are those who dwell daily in the life of the Holy Spirit? I mean, you know, David is, is prophesying about the privileges that we as New Testament believers have been given. Let me ask you this question. Who dares to dwell with God? We do. Jesus Christ knocked down every barrier, and now he invites us to come boldly before the throne of God. How many of you are reading the same promises in your Bible? Who has the privilege of being close to God? Every one of us. Who has the privilege of daily dwelling in the presence of the Holy Spirit who lives within us now, not within a tent or, or, or a temple made by human hands? We do. David, David was prophesying about a day in which we are now experiencing the fruit of that uh, prophecy. But I want you to see the questions that he's asking are great questions. Who can do this? How can sin- sinful, rebellious people come into contact with the living God? But look what Jesus says to them, and I want you to see this. Verse 3, you have already been pruned and purified by the message or by the word that I have given you. Now this is so good. What he's telling them is, look guys, I know that your babies. I know that you're infants in this journey with me. I know that you're infants in learning how to partner with me in the things of, of, of the kingdom. So relax, because I've already spoken over your life, and you've already received my word, and listen, you're already cleansed, and you're clean. How many of you know it is a scary thing to, to be invited to be a friend of God if you have not been transformed into the nature and image and likeness of God? It's scary, very scary. You know, you hear people that are lost, they say things like, man, yeah, I'm going to go to hell and party with my friends because, you know, it wouldn't be any fun hanging out in heaven with God and all this kind of stuff like this. I just, I just think, how blind and stupid, Lord God, have mercy on us. Have mercy, God. Have mercy, God. <laughs> the question we should be asking is, why would a God who is perfect in every way want to have a relationship with me, a sinner, a rebel, a God-dishonoring uh, human, why in the world? And here's the question. Here's the answer, I guess. How in the world are you going to be a friend of somebody when your own conscience is guilty? How many of you know David said this, or Paul said this? He said, I strive to live with a clear conscience toward God and a clear conscience toward people. You know, I've had people, sometimes I got things on my mind, I might walk by you on accident, or I might be really thinking about something and my face does not look happy, and all of a sudden I look at you and, and I walk by and you're like, oh, pastor's mad at me. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. I know half of you have committed that sin. I forgive you already. Because let me just tell you something. I mean this. I'm, I'm not goofing around. I mean this. Every single Sunday, I, 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 two things have to happen before I get up here. My conscience 
before God needs to be clean as a whistle. Squeaky clean. You with me? That's a smart thing. And number two, my conscience towards you needs to be clean. So if you're ever wondering, I know pastor's mad at me. I am not. Because if I was, I would have already told you. And then we would have forgiven. And then I would have hugged you. And then I would let my sweetness come all over you again, and then we would be back in good relationship. So you all good? I love you all. My conscience towards you is clear. Uh, I will not, I just want you to know, I won't stand in this pulpit if my relationship with, with my wife is not right. So some, if some Sunday morning, some Sunday morning you go, hey, where's pastor? Ah, I bet his relationship with Marion's not good. He's probably, where's he at? Where are they at? All right? No, I'm, I'm serious, because here, here's why. How can you have a friendship with God when your conscience tells you guilty, 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 guilty? You can't. And so listen, when Jesus says to them, you guys are already clean, he's inviting them to relationship. Can you imagine being Jesus' friend? I mean, I like to put myself in the Gospels when Jesus is walking around doing what he's doing. It would have been awesome and scary all at the same time. I mean, he was freaking them out every day. We get to read the New Testament and go, oh, man, wouldn't that have been awesome? No, trust me, you would have been freaking out. How about when Peter stands in the boat knee-deep, looks at Jesus instantly after Jesus just said, throw the net out on the other side, remember that story? And he's not going, sweet, look at all these fish. He goes, I am a guilty sinner. I'm not even worthy of being in your presence. I'm knee-deep with fish, and and I need to get out of here because I know who I am. So you'll, listen, you'll never be fruitful. You and I will not learn how to experience this union as long as we're not clean. Here's the good news for our culture today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, don't everybody relax. Again, when you're a younger Christian, you're like, oh, I did wrong, I'm doomed. No, it's talking about those who live a lifestyle of doing wrong, all right? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or who commit adultery or who are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or who cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Is that pretty clear to everybody? If you're practicing a lifestyle of any of those things and you're unrepentant and you have not asked the Lord to forgive you and cleanse you, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I think that's a vital word for our generation today. But listen to what it says. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is so good. So say you're dealing with, you're trapped in a lifestyle that, that the Bible mentioned right there and you cannot get free. Well, what happens? One day you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, forgive me. God, I don't want to live this way. Maybe a preacher read that verse and you realize, that's me. And let me, just, let me just say this to anybody that 
in the sound of my voice this morning, hearing God's voice through the scripture. If that's you, you should be doing what I'm about to do right now because you should realize I am guilty. I am guilty. I am doomed. I am without hope. And what do you do? You say, Jesus, I don't want to be this way. And I talked to you before. Where do you meet Jesus? You meet him at the cross. And you call on the name of the Lord and you say, Jesus, take my sin, take my life, change me. How many of you ever prayed, change me? That's a great prayer right there. Change me. And God does something that only God can do. He comes into the human heart and he takes those desires that were wicked and twisted and perverted and he gives you new desires. Now check it out. And God, at the moment you say yes to Christ, at that very moment, God says over your life, not guilty. That's what it means to be justified. It doesn't mean that that he wipes away your sin. It means he sees you as if you never sinned. And not only that, he gives you the righteousness of Jesus because he puts you in the vine, and everything that Jesus is becomes yours. So he doesn't just wash away your sin. He gives you the full riches of Jesus. You are declared righteous by God Almighty. Now check this out. So let's say I struggled with being abusive, angry, whatever. The next day comes up, I'm tempted to be angry. Now I'm learning how to go from theologically justified to practically sanctified. I got to go back to the cross and I have to say, Jesus, forgive me for my impatience. And here's what happens. He takes those little, those little snippers and he comes up and says, let me just cut off that impatience. Ah, hurts a little bit, but I'll get over it because you know what? I don't like being ugly like that. I don't like being a slave to sin. I don't like being selfish. I don't like living in this misery and bondage. And what happens is God's word continues to clean us. The Bible says this, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. What is the Lord doing? He's going in with that double-edged sword and he's slicing off the areas of our life that are not pleasing to him. Now, let me just say this. You don't read the Bible because you get a gold star. You know, I'm wondering if we train kids the wrong way. You know, we, we, we have them read their Bible and memorize a verse. They get a star or they get candy. Can I just tell you, you know why you read your Bible? So you can maximize your pleasure in God. I just need to say that again because that was just so good. <laughs> that was so good. You read your Bible so you could do this thing right here. Mmm, what's that? Good. God, if you said that and that's what you meant, and I know you said it and I know you meant it, then I am really excited about what that means in my life. And I'm excited about what that promise means because here's the promise, but the promise goes back to the one who gave it, which means that is a revelation of your heart. So listen, throw away your gold stars and your lollipops, and why don't we start pursuing friendship with Jesus? Like letting him work through us, letting him speak to us. You know, I remember as a younger man, I was driving in my car, and I had the radio on, and I'm singing. You know, it's always great to sing when no one can hear you, when you have a voice like mine. I'm singing, oh, man, I'm just passionate for God. And I, as clear as day, heard the Holy Spirit share with me God's affection for me, how much he loved me. And his way said how much he loved my passion. And he said to me, you're like a wild stallion. 
<laughs> now, he, that probably was a warning because he probably had to put a bridle on me and reel me in a little bit. But you know what? I, and hear me on this. Those words from the Lord were so powerful that they exploded in my heart. And the sap, when I, when I mentioned the sap, for all you people that are metaphorically challenged, I'm talking about the emotion, the feeling, the life of God coursing through me. When God spoke those words over my life, I was so moved. I literally had to pull the car over. I was crying so hard. I couldn't see the road. <laughs> and I just pulled off to the side of the road, and I bawled like a baby. If, you, if somebody drove by me, they would have said, that guy is nuts. Actually, I was more in touch with reality at that moment than most of the days of my life. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to sing all the glory girls right there. Oh, yes, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being full of sap. I'm talking about not just having a head knowledge about God, but I'm talking about when God wrecks you. I'm talking about when you become a friend of God when you love what God loves, when you hate what God hates, when you're broken with sin, when you care about people, when you want to help people, when you care about the disenfranchised, you care about the poor, you care about the victims of injustice, when you feel the heart of God, you feel most alive. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So when the Lord says you're clean, it means I'm clean. It means it doesn't matter what I feel like. I'm a son. It means he accepts me. It means he loves me. It means on my worst day, his affections for me have not changed one tiny bit. It means my life is not based on performance. I gotta try harder, try harder, try harder, be a better Christian, be a better Christian. Get off the stinking treadmill. It's going to kill you. And learn to remain in the Father's love. Learn what it is to be totally embraced by a God who's crazy about you and who saved you for one reason. Not so you could perform for him, but so that you could enjoy him and he could enjoy you. That's why Living Stones, one of our little mottos around here is enjoying God, loving people. Not loving God, because that's a little too mild. There's something crazy, because we even have to love people we don't like. But when you say enjoying God, mm. Nate, that's like eating one of your breakfasts. Mm. And you know what you do? You go right back in line like you didn't have a plate before and you fill it up again. And you, you know, That's what you do. That's how the cook gets the glory when you have three plates of the food. Some of you just need to hear this this morning. God loves you. God is for you. God has done everything to bring you to himself. God's not going to lop you off. He's not the angry father waiting to kick you to the curb. He is a tender, meticulous, focused, loving daddy who will mold you and shape you and cause you to come forward and be the man or the woman that he created and intended for you to be. And then he's creating you and shaping you so he can enjoy you. Check this out. Forever. with unbridled affection for you forever. You know, I, my love for people, my love for God, my love for my wife, my love for my kids can kind of be like a roller coaster depending on the circumstances. But here's the awesome thing about God. God's affections are on full blast consistently 
because God does not vacillate in his affection for you. God's affection for you is constant because of Jesus. And we need to just sit here today. I don't know what kind of week you've had or where you're struggling or where you're feeling overwhelmed, but here's the good news. If you are connected to the vine, Jesus Christ, then the affection of the Father is coursing through your veins. The, 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 you're an object of his adoration. You're the source of it. Part of his joy is in you. It's in Christ in you. Um, and he's going to enjoy you forever. He's going to spend time with you. You know, sometimes I think when we think of heaven, we think of the, the big scene where we're all in front of the throne on our faces, worshiping Jesus with a smile on our face. But, you know, being a dad of eight kids, sometimes my kids would say, Dad, can you just go out with me by yourself today? And can we just have a daddy-daughter date? Can we just have a father-son time together? And, and I would always tell my kids, you know what? There's as many of those times as you want. Just let me know. I can't read your mind, but there's something powerful when the Father focuses on you. And I honestly believe there will be, there will be times in eternity when Jesus will say, you know what? Hey, me and you. Just go for, let's just go for a little walk. I just want to be with you. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. So, Lord, help us to love you with a clean heart and a clean mind and pure motives. God, wash away all the things in us that shouldn't be there. And help us to have confidence. Help us to be comfortable coming into your presence and kicking off our shoes and sitting on the couch and being with you. And we don't even have to talk. We don't have to make conversation. We just be in your presence and love you and enjoy you. And we can read your love letter, the word of God, and be encouraged by what you say about us and how you think about us. We can join arms with you and go out in partnership doing amazing things for your glory. The word of the Lord, church, over us today, you've been washed. You're cleansed by my word. I'm going to continue to prune you as you get in my presence, and you're going to be like me, and the sweetness of those grapes is, is still to come. We've not yet reached full maturity, but, man, we're moving. We're moving there. So, Lord, cause us to love you and cause us to love each other. Cause us not to quit. Cause us not to give up hope. Cause us not ever to separate ourselves from you. No matter what we're going through, that we would keep bringing our heart to you, Lord, and let you love us and let you encourage us. Father, thank you for those here today that maybe are struggling. I pray that you'd speak life to them and encourage them. Lord, those that are far from you and that have never embraced the cross, I pray that you'd give your life to Jesus today before you leave here. Right now, the Lord's waiting for you. He's, he's pleading with you to come. Father, fill us with your glory, and God, let us produce much fruit. We love you, and we honor you. We thank you for the joy of knowing you, Lord. Now help us become best friends, not on your side, Lord, but our side. Help us become best friends. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You know, we don't have marriage class today because of the holiday, and if anybody needs prayer before you leave, come on down here. We'll have our ministry team up here. Also, if you're brand new, we would just love to connect with you. So please don't rush off. Come on up and say hi. We'd love to connect with you, all right? Have an amazing, amazing week in Jesus' name. Love Jesus with all your heart. Let's be best friends, all right? Have a good week.